BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Friday, August 10th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date, our weekly recap of science in the news. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Hey, we live in San Francisco, and there was this time a few years ago that was infamous in the area. I think I call it the glass hole period, where people would wear Google Glass around town and generally be made fun of for the appearance of wearing these kinds of strange-looking glassware and just like the eekiness of it, the just creep factor of feeling like you're being recorded in public. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember remember being at specifically at the um, cafe near Mission Dolores Park and seeing a bunch of these individuals and just thinking like, Am I is my privacy being invaded? Like, how is this, you know, okay? And it looks stupid. Like, (laughs) like, let's just agree that they weren't the most fashionable thing out there. I thought Google Glass was way in our history, that it was a product that Google just completely eliminated. But I've come to learn that slowly they've kept this product alive and going. Doesn't Snapchat have a version of it now, too? (laughs) They have the Snapchat spectacles, but you know, it doesn't have the functionality of Google Glass. Like Google Glass had this ability to show you something in your in a tiny screen in front of your eye and it could hook up to your smartphone. Most of the other things that are on the market, like the Snapchat spectacles, they just record. They don't offer like some sort of like augmented reality view of the world. But I was really surprised when I heard Google was keeping this product alive because like what's the use case, especially after all the backlash? What would you think the use case would be? Hmm. I mean, I would think like pilots who are training maybe or, you know, somebody who needed kind of, you know, like when we see in sci-fi movies when they people look through a, a glass but have something superimposed on it, like some kind of geographical or topographical map. That is one of the plays is this enterprise level of bringing, you know, augmented reality in like manufacturing settings, like you're saying like with pilots, like people in high skill positions that need overlays of information. But the reason that I think they're keeping it alive is sort of a one that's a little bit different. It's really a play in accessibility. It's about augmenting the senses of individuals that have, have some impairment in that area. And there's long been some use cases where it's uh, helped people that are deaf or have vision impairment uh, because of how it interacts with your system, like the speakers, the ability to sort of read Uh, the environment around you, its ability to sort of work with your phone, which is essentially like an on-the-go computer. But the one that came up interesting that was just published in Nature 
was a study about using Google Glass for kids with autism. Hmm. And I never thought about that as like a potential, but what essentially has been done is a, a research group at Stanford developed a smartphone app that would pair with Google Glass that children with autism, these are generally like in this kind of like five to 10 to 12 kind of age range, that would get readouts of people's facial expressions from the Google Glass and give the uh, children a report of what they're seeing, like what emotions the people are having, a little bit more information. And what was sort of astounding about the study is that they indicated that the children in the study, relatively small sample size, had more eye contact with people in their lives after using this tool for an extended period of time. Wow, that's, I mean, I didn't even know we got to the point where you could have an algorithm that can do facial expression recognition online, right? Because it's not like, oh, you know, you have to be able to do this. It's like you have to be able to do this in a second, like, you know, at the same time as the person is watching. Yeah, and I'm not sure how quick this is. This may not be the most seamless experience of the app recognizing uh, facial expressions and, and giving feedback to the children. But something is better than nothing right now. And um, this idea that children with autism can't process the uh, or just simply understand the emotional um, state of people around them. Like, why is that? Like, what's going on with them that makes it so hard for them to understand that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think it's one that we're still trying to figure out. There are a number of neuroanatomical mechanisms that seem to be at play. Uh, so, for example, the way that their brains are, you know, wired up, um, the kinds of cells that they have, uh, you know, it, it's different. And so it's possible that just the way that they're processing information is different. You know, there's a sense that that they they get stuck on individual features and don't do as much holistic processing, which is what you kind of need in order to understand a facial expression. So, for example, they will, you know, concentrate on one feature rather than, you know, seeing the face as a whole. And, you know, yeah, it's, you know, they're, a lot of their differences are in this social interaction stream and and this kind of low-level perceptual aspect. I think the the kind of hidden benefit is as well just the experience of being able to communicate with your child at home in a way that you weren't able to before. So even if this isn't a long-term solution for these kids, like the the quality of life improvement, especially for the caregivers, um, is astounding. And I'll just read you one quote from one of the kids in the study. He told his mother this, quote, mommy, I can read minds. <laughs> and I just love like uh, what it must have felt like for his mother to hear that and just to see um, her child make eye contact more. Yeah, you know, this also uh, reminds me of an interview that we did here on Inquiring Minds with Tai Tashiro. You might remember him. He wrote a book about awkwardness. Uh, and it's, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't on the spectrum, but just are socially awkward. And so for some reason, do not innately learn the rules of social interactions. And so this tool, I feel like could help those individuals as well by giving them, you know, I remember he would talk about how before going to a slumber party, his parents would like go through a number of scenarios with him, what to do if, because he couldn't make those decisions himself. And here, you know, you you have a, something that you can take with you, although, you know, hopefully it just wouldn't make the person look even more awkward. Yeah, I definitely think people will look at you if you are wearing Google Glass. This episode is sponsored by Memory Bank. Would you consider yourself financially minded and someone who knows how to maximize earnings? What if we told you that you could be earning a lot more interest with Memory Bank's Earn More Checking? 
Memory Bank's Earn More Checking account pays 1.6% annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. They don't have confusing monthly requirements that you have to fulfill to earn this great rate, and your deposits will start growing from $1. Their online account opening process only takes 10 minutes. And their online banking platform is easy to use, with features like mobile deposit, bill pay, and external transfer ability. Best of all, since Memory Bank is the digital arm of a well-established community bank, it was designed to give you a community bank feel while focusing on innovation. The best of both worlds. Visit mymemorybank.com minds and apply to start earning 1.6% APY today. 1.6% annual percentage yield as of June 28, 2018, paid on earn more balances from one penny to $250,000. For funds in excess of $250,000, 0.05 APY will be earned. $50 minimum opening deposit, message and data rates may apply. Member FDIC. So I also have a, a kind of a slightly feel-good story for it this week. Um, although I don't know, well, maybe it's maybe it's just maybe it's just funny, not so much feel-good. But do you ever notice how male dogs urinate? What do they do? Uh, they kind of spread their haunches and kind of they kind of lift their leg, yeah. right? Have you ever wondered whether the height at which they are urinated makes any difference? I have. I can unequivocally say that it thought has never <laughs> crossed my mind. That curiosity has never existed in me. No. So what if I told you that small dogs lift their legs higher and pee taller than large dogs? Like in terms of overall proportion of their height. They raise it higher than yeah. A tall dog so would. like the smaller the dog, the bigger the angle at which they raise their leg to pee. Is that just because like the world is built for tall dogs? <laughs> I don't know that fire hydrants or grass really care. Um, but there's a study that came out last week uh, with the lead author Betty McGuire, McGuire, excuse me, at Cornell in the Journal of Zoology, um, and she and her colleagues went around and followed 45 dogs from two different shelters in New York, and they. They measured the angle at which they lifted their legs. Uh, these were all, you know, sort of mutt dogs, so they weren't like a particular breed. They measured, you know, the body size, the height, whatever, of the dog, and they they looked at, you know, where the urine fell. Uh, and it turns out that in uh, over the course of two studies, um, they did find that the bigger the raised leg angle, uh, the higher the urine marking, and that there was a negative relationship between body size and raised leg angle, which means that the smaller the dog the higher they raise their legs. And one of their interpretations of this was that small dogs want to seem like big dogs. <laughs> and if you're, you know, if you're if you're using urine to mark your territory and you want to let other dogs know you're in the area, like do you it's kind of like puffing out your chest, you know? It's like do you pee higher so that the other dogs think you're actually bigger than you are? Well, now I'm going to think about that walk in the park later today a little differently. <laughs> well, there are two alternative interpretations that maybe are less less exciting. One is that small dogs actually have more flexible and they are able to raise their legs more and that maybe makes the urine less likely to sort of backwash onto their leg. <laughs> Um, or two, that they actually are trying to mark, uh, overmark uh, another dog's urine marking. So if you pee higher, it just rolls down. Well, no, it also means that if you're a small dog, chances are the mark is higher than you normally would. So you have to, you know, strive to put your mark uh, higher up. But anyway, I thought it was a <laughs> kind of interesting study. Um, and it just reminded me of sometimes how being a scientist is both fun 
and difficult. I mean, can you imagine walking around all day and, you know, dog walking 45 dogs in New York does not sound like fun (laughs) to me. Yes. And then, you know, going and and taking measuring, you know, how high their pee markings are. The one one funny thing about the studies that they did say that a lot of the dogs missed their mark. (laughs) They they did try to lift, you know, but, you know, males are going to be males regardless of species. (laughs) All right. So that's the news for this week. Uh, What do we have coming up on Monday? On Monday, we have an interview about graphene, that mystery element that we heard so much about uh, all those years ago that was promised to be a cure for everything from like clean energy technology to how the astronauts travel to the ISS. So we're going to revisit where we are with graphene, but most importantly, what its growing manufacture and ease of manufacture means for future industries. Well, I also have some good news. So my other podcast, Cadence, What Music Tells Us About the Mind, is a finalist for the 2018 Science Media Awards. It's up against PRI's Science of Happiness and Science Friday, so we're in good company. And I have to find three episodes from the first two seasons uh, to pick. So if any of our listeners have listened to Cadence uh, and have a favorite episode, please tweet it at me or somehow get it. Get me the information. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Indre Viss. Uh, you can also find us at all the other places that you find Inquiring Minds. See you next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.